smack dab in the middle of our Mark series. We're in Mark week number five. Uh, is going to be a whiteboard Sunday. I know everyone calm down. I know it's very exciting when the whiteboard gets broken out. By the way, awesome. We're working right now to create a digital whiteboard. Uh, we'll get that here set up uh, so that can have some more fun with the whiteboard. But today we still have the old school dry erase board. It's going to be a whiteboard Sunday. So if you're not a whiteboard person, maybe to now's the time to tune into something else. Uh, I think there's some leave it to uh, um, some Andy Griffin reruns running somewhere you can watch this morning. Uh, but it's going to be a whiteboard Sunday because I want to share with you today uh, a formula that I find in the Bible uh, that is uh, going to help you. I guarantee you, no matter who you are, this is going to challenge you and help you uh, to navigate through life. I am not a huge math fan. Um, I'm okay at math. I've done math. But uh, one thing I do like about math, and that is, is that I enjoy the fact that math in some ways has a simplicity to it. Now, I know some of you probably math was not your favorite subject in school. And so when I say that, you kind of have a little cold sweat that breaks out and go, well, it wasn't simple to me. I get that some math and numbers aren't your thing. But in overall, you know, reading, you've got all these weird letters, you've got sounds, you've got different a, a, o, e, a, o. You've got vowels with 14 different, uh, different sounds to them. You've got silent letters, you've got blends. You've got all kinds of stuff when you're reading and trying to learn how to speak uh, English that are making it, makes it challenging. But you know what? One plus one equals two. You don't have to worry about is the one silent, is the one, you know, does the one, is it a long one, a short one? Uh, it's one. One plus one equals two. So I enjoy the simplicity of math. And there are, uh, the other part about math that's awesome is that math has formulas in it. And the beauty about a formula, in case you're panicking, I know some of you can feel it right now, you're just panicking, oh, I don't want to go to school today. I'm not taking you to school, I'm trying to make a point. Um is that the beauty about math is that math has formulas, and if we do these formulas correctly, then we're going to get the correct answer. If the answer is incorrect, it's not because something's wrong with the formula. It says we have not input the numbers correctly, or there was something wrong. There was a user error. The formula has been proven. The formula works. If the formula is not producing the right answer, it's not the formula's problem. If you go up and you, you, you put in a formula and you put in the numbers and it's wrong and you go up and you take it to the teacher or the professor and they say it's wrong, you can't say, well, you know what? The dumb formula is not working. They're going to go somewhere along the line. You didn't put the right numbers in or you didn't calculate the formula correctly because the formula works. For example, work with you for five seconds. You have a rectangle. If we have a rectangle... There's a formula for a rectangle that can allow us to determine what the size of the rectangle is here. It's A equals length times width. So if I take this side and multiply it by this side, it's going to tell me what my area is. That's called a formula, right? Some of you have used that. Some of you, it's probably been 40 years since you saw that formula in math. But the fact is, there's a formula 
that can tell me how to get this answer. If I put the right formula together and put the right numbers in, voila, I get the right answer. The Bible, because God is ultimately the great engineer, he's the great uh, calculator, uh, there are formulas hidden throughout Scripture. You didn't know that, right? And I'm not, going to, I'm not trying to equate the Scripture to math, but there are formulas in Scripture. If you do this step, this step, and this step, then it's going to equal this every time. For example, some of you have heard me talk about this before. There's a formula to faith. That formula to faith is faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So faith starts in the mind. The Bible says, I believe, therefore have I spoken. And then later on, James says that uh, faith without works is dead. So I like to say it is actions speak louder than words. Or Proverbs says, as a man thinketh, so shall he be. So let's put that formula together. Faith starts in the mind. It's then released by my speech or by speaking, which then produces action. So if I only do one thing in that sequence, if I only just do the, the hearing of faith, or if I only speak faith, or only do faith, and I don't do the steps and the formula of faith, the outcome is not going to be correct. There's a process. You can't say you only have to do one of those. Well, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So therefore, that's all I've got to do. Or all I've got to do is speak it. Or all I've got to do is act on it. No, all three of those work in conjunction in this beautifully orchestrated tapestry of faith that produces the outcome. If my faith isn't working, I've got to go back and go, okay, where is the missing link? It, where's my faith holding on to. So faith comes by hearing here by the word of God. What am I attaching my faith to? Am I attaching it to man? Am I attaching it to myself, intellect? Or is it being attached to God, the word of God, the reign of God, the logos of God? So if I get that box checked, then I can move into what's my speech? Am I speaking faith? Am I speaking with faith? Am I activating my faith through my speech? And then finally, when I get that box checked, I can go over and say, what's my actions say? You've heard me use this before. Some of you have heard me teach many times. I've used this. If I walk up to you right now, I say, I love you, and then smack you across the face. My speech is one way, but my actions cancel my speech. Some of you say, God, I believe you. I trust you. I do it. But your actions are completely opposite of that. So your actions negate what you're saying. Or the opposite of that is you walking around pessimistic, always grumpy, always complaining, always just saying. But yet on the other side, you're walking in faith. But the problem is your speech cancels out your faith. Hello, Israel. The grumblings and the moanings in the, in the wilderness canceled out the fact that they were walking as free men and women. So there's a formula to that. So we're in Mark right now. We are moving through Mark, and uh, we just got through Mark 2. We're going to skip Mark 3. We're going to get into some meat and potatoes of Mark to a passage of Scripture that is extremely familiar, a great story. A lot of you have already known this story, uh, but I'm going to read it again today for context. And hidden in this story is a formula that's going to help your life today. But before we do that, let's go to one other Scripture that's not in Mark. We're going to start with today. That's Proverbs chapter 9, 
verse number 10, that says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Now, let's go over to our Mark scripture for today. Again, this is Mark week 5, so it doesn't mean we're in chapter 5, but we're in week uh, we're in week 5 of our Mark study. Um, and for time's sake, we've been reading through Mark, but for time's sake, I'm not going to read through the entire 3 and 4 of Mark. We're going to get to the very end of chapter 4. This is a story a lot of you know. You're going to know it, but just read it again, listen to it again, and then we're going to show you some things in this story that's going to give us a formula that is going to help you, and you can apply this immediately to your life today. So Mark chapter 4, verse 35 says, On the same day when evening came, he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat and he as he was. And other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. One of the best images of scripture, storm and Jesus is knocked out sleeping. And they awoke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. But he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be? Even the wind and the sea obey him. Now, this is one of the uh, interesting stories of the entire gospel narrative because it's one of those stories that when you read it, it's a head scratcher. Because the image and the 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 idea we get when we read the gospels about Jesus Christ. Is Jesus loves everybody. He cares. He, means he came to this earth, robed himself in flesh as a baby, and then he lived and he died and he rose again. I mean, this is who Jesus is. And then he says, I don't want to leave you comfortless. I'm going to send my spirit, which is the comforter. He's going to lead and guide you in all truth. And then oh, we've got this image of love and compassion. And then we have some of these questions, some of these circumstances that just leave us scratching our head just doesn't sound a lot like Jesus doesn't sound like the the idea of God like we would think and two of these happen in storms the other one we find uh, is when they were on the boat and the Bible says Jesus comes walking on the water this is the great water walking story and uh, the Bible says that he would have passed them by, meaning he would have kept on walking right by them. That, that idea, that thought, that wording, he would have passed them by, does not equate to what I, what I think and know about Jesus Christ. What do you mean he would have walked and let them go by? Just doesn't make sense. This is another major one here in scripture. His disciples, the guys that had forsaken, we just read Three chapters before this, you remember a couple weeks ago, we started Mark chapter 1, and what did we talk about? He said to Peter and Andrew, James and John, follow me, and immediately they left their nets. James and John left their poor dad standing on the boat. They left and followed him, forsook everything, and then we find the next chapter. We, see, we find the story of Matthew, 
uh, being called by Jesus Christ. And Matthew leaving his job. He didn't even give a two-week notice. The The dude just left the office and followed Jesus. These guys had given everything. They had forsaken everything. And here they are in a storm. In a place of great fear. But Jesus is sleeping. That This image here creates this contradiction to what we see on one hand as the nature of Christ. And on the other side, we have these times where it just seems like God is out of character. He would walk by and he's asleep on a pillow when they're in the storm. It really leads us to this watershed moment here. We're going to get to this in a moment when we talk about our formula that's found here in Mark chapter 4. But I want to ask you this question. Who is God to you? Now, I know I've asked similar questions to this so far in this series. And when I ask these questions, we go to these sort of rehearsed or, or, or overused rhetoric or these sort of bumper sticker sayings. You know, God is love. God is good. God's my savior. God's my, God's, you know, God's, God, you know, God is everything to me. I want to give thanks to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to whom is the source of all things. We've got these rehearsed things that we say that God, but who is God? You see, this becomes a defining moment, a watershed moment in the disciples' training that really began to define to them who God was. You see, if I ask you that question right now on Sunday, well, we're going to get the good Sunday answer. Well, because Sunday is the day we've set aside to be God's day in our life. Sunday is the day we go to church, we participate in some kind of religious activity, where you're watching online, we're going to a life group, whatever you're choosing to do today to engage in some kind of activity that is based in your Christian walk. If I ask you that question today, you're going to give me a great, good, old-fashioned Christian answer. God is good. God is just. God is right. God is awesome. I want to give God thanks and praise. That's our Sunday answer. But is it the same answer on Tuesday? Is it the same answer on Thursday? What about a Friday afternoon? You see, the question I'm asking you is not a Sunday morning question. Because if I'm going to ask you a Sunday morning question, I'm going to get a Sunday morning result re, uh, answer, right? This is the day that the Lord has made. I will be glad and rejoice in it. That's Sunday. Monday, you're like, why did God create Mondays? Could God please have another day besides Monday? So I'm not asking who is God on your Sunday. Who is God in your midweek? Who is God at the doctor's office? Who is God at work when you're stressed out and you're overwhelmed? Who is God when you're fighting with your spouse? Who is God when your kids are losing it? Who is God when you're sick? Who is God when things aren't going the way you want them to go? You see, that's sort of the crux of this. And we have to understand this because this is going to play in hugely when we discover the formula for this situation. Who is God? Because for most of us, 
there is a massive discrepancy in that definition. Because we've got sort of two lives that we live here, and there's a major discrepancy in the definition. We all sort of have a scale here. On the scale, we've got sort of high and low anxiety. And somewhere in the middle of this scale is where we live most of our life. And depending on where we are on that scale today is where our definition of God is. If we're low on the scale, God's good. God's awesome. Can't nobody do me like Jesus. Bless that wonderful name of Jesus. But when it's a high anxiety scale, the definition changes. Who God is begins to change. And the problem is, we're going to see this in a minute. It's not the anxiety that determines the outcome or the fear scale that determines the outcome. The real issue on the outcome is the definition of who God is to you that determines the outcome. Because you see, we focus so much of our life on trying to keep this scale down here at the bottom. And it doesn't make sense to us. Oh, someone needs to hear me. I feel the Holy Ghost trying to talk to somebody. It doesn't make sense to us why God, the great loving Savior of the world, would allow anything in my life that causes this scale to rise up. This is the whole issue. This is the problem we have. Is trying to grasp. This is I talk to people that that uh, that that don't know Jesus, and you talk to them, and 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 one of the questions I have been asked so many times: If God is who He says He is, why is there so much this, or why did God allow this, or why did God do these things in my life? Because as human beings, we are conditioned that up high level of stress, anxiety, fear, worry, doubt is bad. Low levels is good. So therefore, if that's the case, then God should be about keeping all of this down here. The problem is, then how do you grasp the reality that God allows things in my life and in your life that send this thing through the roof? Because go back and read it. If you don't believe me, we read it in the beginning of the story. Jesus says to them in Mark chapter 4 and in verse number 35, he said, let us cross over to the other side. It wasn't like they said, you know what? Huh. We don't like it over here. We want to go to the other side because it's better over there. The sun's better over there. It's warmer over there. And they get in the boat and Jesus reluctantly goes with them. So when they're perishing, they can go, you know what? Okay, God, I'm so sorry. We should have listened to you. Forgive us, Jesus. Save us. No. Jesus was the one that said, hey, guys, let's get in the boat. Now, you can live with the idea that, well, maybe he didn't know there was going to be a storm. Come on. Really? He knows the end from the beginning. He knew there was going to be a storm. So he purposely takes these men, these men who have sold out. These were not 
fringe guys. These were not Sunday morning people. Not no, no, no offense to Sunday morning people. These were not people that were sitting on the back row who were just coming in when church started and were leaving before it ended. These were people who were dedicated, who had sold out, who had left everything, had ban- who had abandoned family and friends and, 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 and relatives and had left everything to follow him. And he led them into a sky-high moment of anxiety and fear. What was he thinking? Wait a minute. I, I didn't sign up for this. When I came, when I gave my life to Jesus Christ, I gave my life to Jesus Christ because I thought part of the deal was this whole thing of peace. And peace to me means keeping my life on the bottom end of the low scale. And I don't like it. And I don't understand why God would do anything in my life to cause this scale to go whoop. And I got to be frank with you. There's some days there's not a there's not a whiteboard big enough to have an arrow that there's some days that arrow just shoots to the moon. This is a struggle. This is a ugh. how do I grasp this? How, how do I what is this really about? What are you doing? Because this 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 Jesus character leads them into the storm. Their anxiety goes high. And now they're dealing with two major issues. They're dealing with the fear of the moment and they're also dealing with their inability to control anything. Their inability to manage the situation. And now they are stuck. And so the first thing we've got to realize when when looking at this story that Mark's trying to get across from us is that there are some God-ordained storms in our lives. There are sometimes God allows storms and there's sometimes God brings storms. There are sometimes God allows people to hurt us and there's sometimes God leads people in our lives that hurt us. But God, if you knew they were going to hurt me, why did you even let me get involved with them? Or God, if you knew my parents were going to be abusive, why did you let? Or if you knew this, my spouse was going to do. Because my idea is anything that comes from God should be down here. Anything that comes from the devil or the or life pushes it up here. I struggle. I struggle with anything that causes my life to go up instead of down. So what do I do? I get into eliminating things. Well, you know what? I'm going to do this. I'm stop doing that. I'm not going to go there. What if God wants you to go there? You see, the idea is, well, they shouldn't have got on the boat. Why didn't they get on the boat? 
I mean, come on, you know there's a possibility that in that time of year, in the Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee is a very shallow lake when the wind begins to whip and uh, comes, comes out of the wilderness, when that heat begins to cause uh, the, the rise and you get all these different winds churning around in that, in that region, it can create these amazingly powerful storms for a relatively small body of water. And then you add to that the shallowness of the Lake of Galilee uh, relatively to its size. And then you get this weird phenomenon that happens on the, like, on the Lake of Galilee that you get quite uh, intense wave action based off the size. You don't get the deep swells of the ocean. You get these pretty intense waves. And then on top of that, it's not exactly like they're on yachts. The boats that they were using to transport across the seas weren't exactly uh, ocean-worthy vessels. They were smaller. They were built for a lake. See, of all these factors that lead me and my little pea brain to go, you know what? The best thing to do is not even go on the lake. I'll just eliminate it. Because that's our source. That's the way we handle things. Our way to handle things is this. Let's just eliminate the stuff in our life that causes anything negative. So I'm going to eliminate people. I'm going to eliminate stress at work, job. I, I, I know there's things we should do to eliminate stress. I believe we live in a world that has way too much stress. And a lot of that's just stuff we should, we're involved in we should never be involved in. We live at a high pace, high stress, go, go, go life that, to be honest with you, when you peel back, COVID taught us that, you know what, there's a lot of fluff and stuff in our life. So I, I know there's some natural things that we could do to relieve stress. I get that. I'm talking about you can't eliminate life to the point where your life lives on the low scale. Because you know the problem is God doesn't really care about your scale some days. He's going to send your scale flying high. Wait a minute. What did I do wrong? You told me to get on the boat. Why am I in a storm? And then the thing that just absolutely cracks me up about this whole entire sequence is, here they are in a storm, and of all things, Jesus is asleep. What image do we have? You would think if the God, I, the God I know, the God I envision, that in my darkest moments, he is at his most attentive, right? It's the footprints in the sand poem, right? When I look back, I only saw one set of footprints, but then you showed me that it was your footprints because you were carrying me. Sometimes I look back on the one set of footprints and they're mine, and I can't find God because it appears he has checked out. It appears he is checked out. He's asleep on the pillow. You would think he would be like, hey guys, listen, I got you in this. Don't worry, I'll get you out of it. Hang in there, buddy. We got this. That's the idea that I think God should have done. He should have been out there on the edge of the boat going, listen, fellas, don't worry. I got you. I got you in this. I'm going to get you out of it. Sit back. But yet he was sleeping these are the guys that had taken and forsaken everything to follow Jesus Christ. And yet Jesus had seemingly abandoned them. And this leads to one of those watershed moments 
they go to him and they say to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? Do you not care? Are you seriously sleeping? And we're up here trying to literally just stay afloat because we're going to die. Do you not care? I won't even ask you today if you've ever asked that question. I got to be honest with you today. Sadly, I've asked that question. I've asked that question. I have had, I've asked the question, God, do you even care? God, do you even care? Do you even know what I'm going through? Do you even care? Do you not see what I'm dealing with? And it seems like every time I turn around, this person's being blessed. And every time I turn around, they're getting a prayer answer. Every time I turn around, they're getting, you're working in their life. But me, all I'm doing is trying to take buckets and bail out enough water just to last another five seconds in this storm. And then I turn around and you're asleep. Do you not even care? Fear, by its very nature, is an interpretation of life. Fear is where I take in things with my senses, either taste, smell, touch, feel, whatever it is. Sight. I take in information, and that information causes my brain to interpret something. And that leads to fear. These guys were taking in the information that was given to them. Their boat's sinking. They're bailing water out. The storm is raging. Waves are splashing over the sides of the boat. They're experienced fishermen who are in a panic. Jesus, who's supposed to be the one who's being the protector, the savior, the, the leader of the pack, is asleep. They have no ability to control anything. And fear is the result. You see, this shows us the formula for this situation. And really, it's the formula for every situation that I face in my life. And the way that this formula is set up will determine what my viewpoint of the situation is and how I face it, and how I overcome it. Because we see it right here. We see this begin to play out. We begin to see it play out. Because first formula is, we've got, first part of the formula, we've got our boat, plus, and I'm going to put, a little bucket here, in case you don't know what this is. That's our little bucket we're going to put water, use to bail water out. Plus, Jesus equals. Now let's look at this formula here for a minute, if we can. It's like a bad game of Pictionary this morning. My situation, or their situation, they're on a boat. And just for old good, uh, let's put some 
wind and wave actions against our, let's put some big waves there too. Let's make it a real good situation. We got waves, we got wind, we got a bad situation. Then you add to that situation their ability to cope with it or not cope with it. Then you add to that their viewpoint of God and who Jesus is. And that all adds up to equal the outcome of their reaction. You see, let's see it play out. Situation, storms. The response, we're overwhelmed. We're panicked. We're sinking. We can't do anything about it. Third part of the equation, what are you doing? Do you not care that we perish? Fourth outcome equals fear, panic, worry, doubt. Really, this moment is more about them than it shows us about Jesus. Yeah, Jesus is asleep on the boat. That tells us a little bit about how God operates, but more it really is about revealing their heart. God is always working in your life to reveal your heart. I don't like it. I don't like when my life is revealed because it's not pretty, it's ugly. But God is going to put me in situations that are out of my control that cause me to bring things to the surface that ultimately are about a heart issue. This is not really about Jesus sleeping or not sleeping. We can make it about that. This is really about the heart of the disciples. This really is pulling out the fact that if they were going to go where they were going to go, they were going to become the men that God was calling them to become. There was some stuff that was hidden in their heart that had to come to the surface. And the only way to bring that to the surface was some situations that were out of their control that caused them to look at Jesus, but ultimately ended up looking at themselves. There's a tendency for most of us to look at our situations, to look at doubt, to look at accusations before we ever examine ourselves. We don't really look at situations and circumstances and use them for self-examination. We look at self, we look at circumstances and situations really to either reveal to us our opinion about our ability to handle this, cope with it, deal with it, or our opinion on who really is God. We don't really look at it as, what is this revealing about me? Because you know what? In these situations, in this story, it's easy. It's really easy to question the care of Jesus Christ. It's really easy to question the love of Jesus Christ. It's really easy to point fingers. It's really easy to sort of doubt his wisdom and his goodness rather than examining my response to the situation. Really, today could have easily been just me sitting here trying to tell you why Jesus was asleep. Well, it's not really, it's not really what it appeared to be. 
It's very easy for me to kind of get on here today. And if you're going through stuff in your life or you're dealing with circumstances or tomorrow you're going to deal with a circumstance, it's really easy for me to get on here and say, you know what? It's not what it seems. Don't worry. God is good. He's still good. Don't worry about what you're going through. God is good. It's easier to do that than it is to say, hey, what is this revealing about you? Because we'll get back to the formula in a minute. What's really interesting about this is Jesus says to them, why are you so afraid? Why are you so fearful? The word fearful there is dread. Meaning, why are you dreading what's next? Why are you so overwhelmed by what's next? Why are you continuing to look at what's next? There was a dread that was starting to come. And then later on, it says, and they were filled with great fear. That word fear there is phobia. It's a an alarm. It's a life-shaping alarm, but it's also an awe because Jesus gets to the edge of the boat and says, peace, be still. You see, there's some things here that we've got to recognize before we finalize our formula. Number one, the fact of the matter is life is bigger than us. And for most of us, we will be in many situations that are beyond our strength and beyond our wisdom. And it's only in those moments that our heart will have will have rest if we see God the way he intends to be seen. If we see him and his glory and his power and his love, his grace and his wisdom, if we have a deep awe of God and who he is, if we remember the scripture, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, it will be godly fear that defeats my situational fear. You can defeat fear today with fear. You know that? If you're battling fear, you can defeat fear with fear. It's just what kind of fear is going to win out. Is it going to be your fear of your situation or is it going to be the fear of God, the awe of God, the reverence of God? Because here's the point. Really what this points to too is what is faith? Faith is carrying with you such a deeply rooted reverence and fear of God that you have hope and courage in situations where you once were afraid. And I'm not talking about fear because some of you are like, well, I'm not, I'm not really a fearful person. But you have dread, you have worry, you have doubt. So it may not be fear as in terror, but that fear may be the fear that Jesus is talking about. He said, why do you dread? Why are you overwhelmed with dread? And when you have this, and when you see these things, really, it really shows me something in my life. And that is this. My greatest difficulty in my life doesn't exist outside of me. The greatest difficulty of my life exists inside of me. The greatest storm of life is not the storm of nature, the storm of circumstances, 
The greatest storm in life is the storm of self. Really, this whole story really was not about Jesus. It really wasn't about the storm. It really was about the heart of the disciples. Your situation and the outcome of your situation really is not about the storm. And in some ways, it's not even about what God is doing or not doing. It's really about your heart. Now, the steps along the way are only there to reveal your heart. So let's go back. Now, let's look at the formula. This is what I call the heart check formula. You start off with your situation plus my ability or my inability. Plus, how I see Jesus and my viewpoint of God. There we go. Put a lot of balls there. Equals. Ultimately. My heart. You see, here's the formula that reveals the heart. My situation. From that situation, it's my inability or ability to control my situation. We play the what if games, right? Well, what if I do this? What if I can do this? What if I can figure this out? What if I could manipulate this? What if I could uh, 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 change this? We play the what if, what if. Well, if this works out and I can do this, I could go back. But you see the disciples? Storm. Can't control the winds. Can't control the waves. Can't control the water in the boat. Master, do you care that we perish? Equaled fear, dread, worry, doubt. You see, these three things really put together are revealing more about me than they're revealing about God. We think situations reveal God is a miracle worker. God will make a way when there is no way. I know God will make a way. So we like that. And so when God doesn't work it out, it's like, okay, God, what's up with your side of the deal? Why are you dealing with your side of the equation? Get your act together, God. We never go, wait a minute. What is this really telling me about me? So what does God do? Remember our low anxiety, high anxiety scale? God sends us into situations on that scale that fire away way up on the high anxiety scale. So we're in a situation and that situation really then leads us to an inability to control it. It's out of our control. Sorry, sir. You've got cancer. 
Can't do anything with you. Sorry, ma'am, this is happening. Sorry, sir, this is the case. Well, all of a sudden, it's out of my control. Then that immediately leads me back to that. Who I see God. What I see God. Not my little Sunday morning pre-planned, pre-rehearsed message of God is good. Praise the Lord, brother. Praise the Lord, sister. Isn't God good? How's God? How's, how's things doing? They're doing great. God is still on the throne. I don't have that pre-rehearsed religious rhetoric. Now I'm stuck with the reality of the face-to-face. I don't see Jesus coming out of the water with a dove descending saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I see a dude asleep on a pillow while I'm trying to survive. And because of that, then it leads to fear, dread, worry, doubt, depression, anxiety. You name it, whatever it might be. And I can go back through and I can try to address one of these. Okay, I got to get out of this situation because this situation's messing me up. Or I got to get better at handling these things. So I got to get better life skills. I got to go see a life coach. I got to see a psychiatrist. I, I, I got to see a therapist. I got to get better at life coping skills, anger management. Or how about this? I got to see God differently. Yeah, maybe some of that will help. But ultimately, the biggest point is you've got to get down to what is this revealing about me? It's revealing something about me when it reveals something about God. Because you see, it wasn't Jesus who had the problem. It was the disciples who had the issue. Because their response was, Master, Do you not care that we perish? It wasn't, well, he told us, hey, fellas, calm down, relax. It's going to be okay. He said we're going to the other side. He never has led us astray. He's not going to start now. It was, he doesn't even care. And all of a sudden, Jesus gets up. He says, why are you dreading? What are you dreading? Gets to the front of the boat and says, stop, cease. Quit. All of a sudden it stopped. And they looked at him in awe, in reverence. And we see fear defeats fear. The fear of God. The reverence of God. The awe of God. Was what was needed to defeat the fear of the circumstance. You see, if the disciples would have known this, they would have not worried about the situation. They would have put down their buckets. They would have stopped trying to push water out of the boat. They would have saw Jesus asleep and they would have gone, listen guys, if he's asleep and he doesn't, he's not worried. I, uh, I think we're going to be okay. You know, you could always tell when you're on an airplane, if you ever been flying and there's turbulence and I've been a couple of times where there was some pretty, uh, it wasn't exactly an easy, smooth ride. You can always tell how bad turbulence is, not by looking at the other passengers. Because you always have the lady who's grabbing the, the seat, who's white knuckled. You have the guy who's like, you know, he's already down five happy beverages because he can only fly if he's hammered. Because he's, he's afraid of flying. You've got the mom that's grabbing the kids because... 
they're afraid as you are. If you look at them, you're not going to get great confidence. Here's a little tip. Next time you're flying and you get in a bad situation, here's when you know when to panic and when not to panic. Watch the flight attendants. Watch the people that do this every day. I've been on some flights, man, where the plane was shaking. I thought at any minute every rivet and bolt of that plane was going to come flying off and I was going to be hitting the ground. And I'm sitting there and the flight attendants are serving Cokes and Pepsis and Diet Cokes and talking and laughing and they're having a good time. And I'm like, are they out of their mind? Don't they realize this plane's about to fall apart? I mean, everyone's kind of, oh, 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 it's, and they're sitting there going, you know, would you like some peanuts, Cracker Jacks, pretzels? I'm like, eating? I'm about to die. But I've been on a couple of situations. One time, my wife and I were traveling with our brand new infant, our first child. We're flying into Chicago on this smaller plane. And it was windy and stormy. And we were coming in for a landing. And the wind was hitting that plane. And I remember just a few feet before we hit the ground, that plane turned this way to where we weren't looking out. We were looking down. And it was a come to Jesus moment. And I remember looking up at the flight attendant. And she wasn't looking so confident either. And when I saw her face... I panicked a little bit. Thankfully, it all laid out well. We, we did it. Because you know what? Her response proved to me this ain't normal. If the disciples would have looked at Jesus and you go, what? He's asleep. I think we'll be okay. So whatever you're in today, the formula for whether or not you're going to end up with Faith, I don't know if you can read this or not, but it's getting smaller here at the bottom. The formula to whether or not you're going to deal with faith or fear really comes down to it's your situation plus your inability to deal with it. Or your ability, you may think you can figure it out and you're only going to come that eventually your ability is always going to end up becoming an inability. Which ultimately leads to how you see God. And it's going to determine whether or not you're going to walk in faith or walk in fear. Whether you're not going to have cope, which is confident expectation, or whether you're going to be like Jesus said, why are you so full of dread? So between faith and fear, Dread and hope, courage and doubt lies a three-step process of my situation facing my inability to control it, which then views leads me back to how I see God. And when I put those three together, the outcome is going to be determined. It's really not about my situation changing. It's really about the third part to that, how I see God. And when I see God the right way, my situation becomes irrelevant. You know what they would have done if they'd have gone, you know what, Jesus is asleep. We're going to be okay. Man, let's watch this storm 
and let's see how bad it's going to get because trust me, it's going to be a great testimony on the other side. But because they saw Jesus and they figured he didn't care, it led them to panic, to fear, to dread. God is working in your life constantly to reveal this thing. Oh man, I don't like it. Trust me, I don't like it. I don't like it. So what do I do? Because I don't want this revealed, I try to control that. I try to change my situation because I don't want my situation messing with my life. Then I get to the point where situation can't keep control. So what does that cause me to do? I move to part two. Can I fix it? Do I have ability? And then eventually I get to the inability, which then leads me to part three, right? When you've tried everything, tried Jesus. That's a terrible idea. Because that's a situation. It's going to lead to my inability. Finally, I'm going to have to go face. Is he asleep? Does he care? And then that's going to finally lead to the ultimate outcome. Really what's going on in my heart. That becomes the formula of the heart. And so what is God doing? He's constantly putting us in situations. He's constantly making sure we realize that without him, we can do nothing. And then on top of that, his loving, caring, kind self is constantly putting us in situations where it appears that he completely abandons us, leaves us out to dry, makes us look bad, makes us look like we're the ones that are wrong, makes us look like we're the ones that have failed. Because ultimately it's going to come down to, wait a minute, how I see him. Not on my Sunday with my hands lifted, singing my songs of praise. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, O oh my soul, worship his holy name. Those beautiful songs we sing, Waymaker, Miracle Worker, Promise Keeper, Light in the Darkness, my God, that is who you are. That's a great song for Sunday. But what about Tuesday when my situation is facing me and I have no ability to control it? I go, abandoner, disappointer, hurtful, uncaring. That is who you are. Doesn't sound so good. I don't think they're going to play that on the radio. But that's exactly what happens. So today... The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. How I see God. I have to be honest with you and I close with this thought. Over the last year and a half, God has worked over time in my life. In so many ways. Things, in ways I don't like it. I'm just going to flat out say to you, I don't like it. I don't think the disciples liked the fact they were on that boat. I, I don't like some of the stuff God's done. But he's worked overtime because there was a lot of things I thought about God that were based in religion, based in rhetoric. But they weren't based in reality and faith. I'm still faced today, this very moment, as I'm speaking this to you, God is speaking even into me about some things in my life. Because I, 
There's some things about God I need to change. There's some way I see God. There's days where when my life is feeling like it's falling apart, I don't do so good. I don't really have this great viewpoint of God. My attitude about God sometimes stinks. And you know what? Every time that happens, it just reveals another part of my heart. I'm so thankful today that he's loving and kind and gentle and patient with me, that he keeps working on me. But I'm telling you today, I don't want him to stop until I'm able to be in the storm with him asleep and then go lay down next to him and say, Jesus, if you're sleeping, I'm going to sleep right next to you. What about the storm? The old song that says, I know the master of the wind. I know the maker of the waves. He can calm the storm, make the sun shine again. I know the master of the wind. I want to know the master of the wind. I don't want to know him on a Sunday morning mentality, but I want to know him on a Tuesday and a Wednesday. And I keep failing. And I'm not doing it quite right. And I keep falling down and having to repent and get back up again and get back into the boat and get back in the storm and end up panicking again and getting mad at God. And I've been doing this cycle now for a while, but it's my desire to know him that I don't have to worry about whether or not I feel him or not, whether or not I see him or not. As the song says, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. I want to be able to have such confidence in God that even when I don't see him and know he's there, I have full confidence. I'm on this boat because he put me here and I'm going to be on this boat because he is going to bring me I hope today in Jesus' name that you are challenged by what was said today as the Lord was speaking into your life, speaking into your heart, that you would take this formula and maybe even examine yourself today about what God is trying to show you about yourself, but ultimately to shape the way you see him. Father, I pray today in Jesus' name that you would continue to work in our hearts and lives to reveal to us ourselves, even though we don't want to see it sometimes, even though it's ugly and messy and smelly and not good, that you would continue to reveal in our hearts and lives who you are to us, but more importantly, what is in our hearts. I pray in Jesus' name today. Lord, you continue to lead us in situations. You would continue to put us in situations beyond our control that we can finally get to the point where we can see you the way we need to see you and that you can reveal in our heart that we can walk a life of faith and not a life of fear, that we can walk a life of, of hope and not dread in Jesus' name. God bless you. Thank you so much for joining us today. I sincerely pray that you were challenged by this and that you would take this word and apply it. If you're going to a life group today, take this. Let's go dig into this. Let's unpack it. Let's apply it to our life that we be can become more like Jesus and walk with him no matter the situation and no matter the storm. I pray in Jesus' name that you have a safe and wonderful week. 
And as always, we'll see you again next time right here at Antioch West. God bless.